open your Bibles, if you would. Have you found the book of Mark chapter 2? While you're turning there, this, um, these are some books that I have been in the last few weeks that have informed what I am teaching the last week and today. I was thinking about it because you've heard me say from time to time that I, was a, I grew up in a church that taught this, right, or taught that, and it's usually in a pejorative or in a negative, right? Well, the church I grew up and we taught this or we didn't teach that. Or Now, here's what is uh, unfortunate is that the Lord is kind of slapping my wrist and saying that, hey, if you were around this church for the last nine years and you were a teenager and now you're in your early 20s, you would be able to say, I grew up in a church that never taught me about Sabbath. So... I apologize, and we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> we're going to start today. But it's, you know, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, man, Jesus is already slapping my wrist, and I'm two chapters in. When I started this teaching, I told you that we wanted to go through the book of Mark because this is how we're going to find out who Jesus is, what he said, right? I've said that if, if you're just you know, crafting Jesus in your own image, if, in the words of Tim Keller, if the God that you serve never would disagree with you on anything, then that God is probably you because um, you've made him in your image. That Jesus can't change you. That Jesus can't transform you. So we're going through Mark so I could tell you what Jesus said so you can correct your theology about who Jesus is. And meanwhile, Jesus is saying, hey, Darren, over here, you're missing one yourself. <laughs> So I'm here to teach you this morning what I'm learning this morning, that Jesus, the beauty, it's the beauty of going through Scripture. Eventually, you're going to get to everything. And eventually, Jesus is going to say, well, I appreciate your enthusiasm for correcting everyone else. You need to look at this one yourself. So that's what's happening to me two chapters in on Mark. And we've we got, you know, what is it, 14 chapters to go. So I'm looking forward to Jesus dealing with even more sin in my heart. Acts, <laughs> sorry, Mark chapter 2. Gideon, would you hit that slide for me? I'm going to read, just like we did last week, chapter um, 2, verses 23 through 27, and then I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, okay? One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. You know, what you do in those days, they didn't have restaurants, the Chick-fil-A wasn't open, you know. Armando and Marisol were closed on that day. They couldn't get an awesome California burrito. So they're, you know, just walking by, getting some heads of grain out of the field. And the Pharisees busting his chops and saying, what are you doing? Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, heads up, this is not unlawful according to the Torah. The Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses said nothing about whether you could pick grain or not. The Pharisees, in trying to be more helpful, created something called the Mishnah, which was all these extra policies and procedures and religious rules, and created that. So he's, Jesus is not anti-Torah, he's anti-Mishnah, if that makes sense. So he's saying, what are you doing? This is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, have you never read, which is hilarious because he's talking to the Pharisees, of course they had, what David did when his uh, and his accomplices were hungry and in need. They were on the Sabbath. In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then verse 27, we're going to spend a little bit of time on this verse today. So if you're underliner, or if you want to look spiritual to your neighbor, underline this verse, because we're going to come back to it. Verse 27, then he said to him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man, speaking of himself, is the Lord even of the Sabbath, of this rest. And then another time, 
Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone, come down to the front, we're going to lay hands on you. And then Jesus asked them, the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or do evil? What's the answer to that question? Good. It's not a trick question. It's really easy. To do good or do evil? Do good. To save life or to kill? What's the right answer? Right. This is easy stuff. But they remained silent because that wasn't what they were looking for. So he looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. That's just NIV for this really ticked him off. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians and how they might kill Jesus. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your word to be a light, a lamp for us today. I pray that you would allow this to not be just an academic exercise. We can take some great notes, but Lord, would you let it not just be on the paper, but be in our hearts today. That your logos, your word, would become illuminated in us today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man, mankind, not the other way around. Which means he created this for man as a gift, as a tool. It was, there's no such thing as a bad thing that comes from God. So this must have been good for them. A while back, my wife and I, uh, we lived out on Paytonsville Arno Road. And a friend of ours named Ron Servideo, there's, I, there's an extra syllables in there that I always miss, but let's just slur them together, Servideo, um, created this, t- he made this for us. This table that you're looking at there, he made that for us. And it was like giant, and it still is. It's like eight feet long. It weighs a lot. And it was this giant gift that he made for us. And it was meant to be and is a blessing for my family. Now, do we eat breakfast at this table every morning? No. Do we eat dinner at night? Not hardly ever. We only use it for the special occasions. Like this is the day when grandma and grandpa are there, when Thanksgiving or sometimes if you've been over our house for a church event, we'll do this. This was a huge gift for us. Now, when we moved, we bought a little house. We were trying to simplify, get rid of some goats and some chickens. Uh, frankly, my wife had just gotten tired of every time I go to Haiti, a goat dies. Like we, like we had fainting goats, which we named after televangelists. Should I say that? It's third service. Of course I'm going to say that. We had Benny Hinn. Um, we had Oral Roberts. Anyway, I'm just... And those are my people, so, you know, I've, but one, like, the, the goat would have fainted, but it's actually still down. That, that goat died. That's not, so we, so she's calling, like, sobbing on the phone. I don't know what to do. There's like, so, <laughs> well, it's kind of true. The goat was dead in the barn. Anyway, um, the point is we were simplifying our lives, and so we needed to move to someplace else. 
And when we started looking for another house, one of the things we were trying to figure out was this table. Where are we going to put this? Because the house we were in had this giant kitchen area. There was no dining room. And we were looking at houses and like literally none of them. We'd have a tape measure out going, nope, eight, nine, ten feet. Well, that's not going to fit. You know, we finally found a house that could fit this table that was not meant to be a burden, but to be a gift for us. And it is a gift for us. And we use it around special occasions. Sometimes we'll, you know, like I said, grandma and grandpa are coming over. But what we haven't done to it is turned it into this burdensome rules and regulations and policies and procedures. And the only time you're going to use this table is when you are got your, the nice silverware out, you got the nice, you know, china. You got, it's just this gift for us. And what God is saying, I think, to us and to the Pharisees is you have taken this gift that I've meant as a gift and turned it into this soul-sucking exercise of rules and regulations and policies and procedures. The Sabbath was never meant to be a burden to them. They made it a burden. You understand that the gift that God has with his word, Israel, when they came out of uh, Egypt, one of the first things God did was camp them in the desert and say, you guys have been slaves for 400 years, so I'm going to teach you some things you need to know. Don't kill your neighbor. Don't have sex with his wife. Don't take his stuff. Don't, like, these are things that if you've been living in slavery, you maybe don't know those things. Don't Look, in Leviticus, it says if you've got to go to the bathroom, go outside of town a little bit, dig a hole, and bury it. Why on earth would he say that? Because he knows about cholera. These weren't burdensome. These were like life-giving, flourishing things for them. You understand? And one of the things when it talked about Sabbath, as a matter of fact, was, hey, when you are, you need to give yourselves a break. You need to give your people a break. You need to give your animals a break. You even need to give your land a break every seven years, which would have been mind-blowing for them. Because if you're living in an agrarian culture, if I take a year off, what happens if I don't have anything this next year? Now, I'm going to teach you something that I've learned in these past few years, and it's been really helpful for me to understand. We go to Haiti a lot. I'll be there again in May. We're going to graduate our third class in our Bible college. We're going to inaugurate another new church. But when you go to Haiti, one of the things that Haiti is famous for is they are the first nation born of former slaves. They overthrew their oppressors, the French government, and said, we're now going to be our own nation. That's not true. Israel was. Israel had been in slavery for 400 years. So it makes sense then for our brothers and sisters in Haiti that when they overthrew their French oppressors who had taken all the religion out, who had said, you know, remember we talked last week, uh, French Revolution, they're the ones that said we're going to make it a 10-day work week instead of a 7-day work week, specifically to poke their finger in the eye of the Torah of the Jewish people of Christianity. We're going to make it 10 days because we know that that came out of Christianity. And it was an unmitigated disaster for their culture. That said, when Haiti came out of and threw over their oppressors, remember what the Bible said, hey, don't have any other gods before me? They didn't know that. There was no way they could have known that. So they began to mix in voodoo and Catholicism. and this. But one thing that they didn't do either was they didn't know about letting the land breathe. So they were living out of this fear of I have to get, this year I got to plant again, I got to plant again. And you can to this day see the results on Google Earth now, that's a little high up, and you can't quite tell. If you've been in Haiti and you've been in the Dominican there, literally, look at the border. Look at how green it is on the Dominican side, and look at how brown it is on the Haiti side. Here's a close-up of that along the border of the Haitian and the Dominican border. God just said, let the land breathe, because it's going to be better for you. 
They didn't know that. There's a reason why God gives his policies for flourishing and for maturity, not to be a buzzkill. He's just saying in the Genesis 3 world, the fallen world, these are some tools that are going to help you. Sabbath was one of them. If you've got your Bibles open, I'm going to ask you to turn to the left. If you're new to the Bible, this will be an easy one to find. Turn to the book of Exodus. and Go to the very beginning and turn right. If you get to Leviticus, you've gone too far. And I'm asking you to turn because I think from time to time it's good for us to be doing this even on a Sunday, especially on a Sunday. Because, you know, when you're in uh, soccer, when you're young, what do they say? The more touches you get on the ball, the more comfortable you are with the game. The more touches you get on your Bible, the more comfortable you are with it. Which is why, by the way, in our children's ministry right now, Joey and Jackie are taking your kids through the temple. They're literally... Uh, cross-referencing it with Jesus' walk into Jerusalem. They're going to come home with this little piece of paper today talking about uh, the, 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 Jesus walked in and what that correlates to the temple. And, the mar- and every Sunday when they go back there, they've got Bibles sitting on a shelf that they get to go take one out and put it down and they get to read it themselves so they get touches on the Bible. That's happening right now for you. Now in Exodus, this is the first reference of the Sabbath as far as a codified, codified, depending on which syllable you emphasize. This is the first time where it's codified into law, but it's not the first time that Sabbath is mentioned. It's actually mentioned earlier in Exodus 16. But this is God saying to Moses, we're going to go ahead and say, this is, I'm putting this up there with adultery. I'm putting this up there with coveting, with no other gods before me, that in the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath, verse 8 of chapter 20 of Exodus. By keeping it holy, six days... You shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you will not do any work, neither will your son or your daughter or your male or female servant. This is a mind-blowing thing for a, a group of people who've been in slavery for 400 years. I can take a day off. I, get, I should. Not only do I get to, that I need to. And I love this, and we're going to see it again in Deuteronomy. I wish we had time to go into this today. What he's saying here about the servants having the same rights as the, the people, the Israelis, the foreigners, the immigrants having the same rights and privileges, that was thousands of years ahead of its time. Other cultures mocked Israel for giving that kind of equality to the people that worked for them. So listen, he says, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He made it blessed. Now, they had just come out of Egypt. They had survived crazy things. They had seen crazy miracles. And God is saying, look, now you don't know yet how to be free, so I'm going to teach you. These are some things that will help you to be free. And one of them is, you no longer are slaves to Egypt. We sing it in ways like you are no longer a slave to fear. The world system, you're no longer a slave to that. Now, fast forward with me. Go to the book of Deuteronomy, which is two books over. So Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Sorry. Get what you pay for. As you fast forward to Deuteronomy, you have now fast forward 40 years. Now, I'm going to put that in perspective for us. How many of you are old enough to remember 9-11? Okay. 
old enough to remember, like I remember what stoplight I was sitting at. I remember I was listening to Rick and Bubba, the two sexiest fat men alive out of Birmingham, Alabama. Like I remember everything about that. Your children don't. So they remember it in the way that if you're, so I'm 47, eight, and I remember when I think of Vietnam, that's how my kids think of 9-11. In the 80s, we learned about Vietnam. We learned about it as history, even though it was only 10 years ago. So a lot can change in your mind in 10 years. A whole lot can change in 40 years. And what Moses is saying, Deuteronomy is two Greek words, deutero and namos. Of you theologians, Melissa, do they teach you yet? Okay. When you get there, go ahead and phone that in. But it's two words. It's Two words, deuter meaning second, two, and nomos, which is law, the second law, okay? It's Moses saying again, to you kids who don't remember this, you kids who do, you weren't alive, you, you maybe barely remember what happened on 9-11, you barely remember what happened in Egypt, here's what you need to know. And he goes back over again, don't kill your neighbor, don't have sex with your neighbor's wife, don't do, and he gets to number four in the commandments, and he says, and I've Put it up here because I want to see the juxtaposition between these two. The difference in 40 years can make. The first word, observe, is different. In Egypt, they were like, hey, remember, right, the Sabbath and keep it holy. Because it's easy to forget because I'm not used to having a day off. But now it's not remember. In this one, 40 years later, it's observe because they remember the day off. They just ain't doing it. Observe it in the way that you would observe this. Well, probably not the speed limit because that's not a very good example. But a law you would actually observe. Observe it. You're keeping it. You're, 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 this is something I'm going to do. And then everything is the same. Six days will you labor. Seventh day is the Sabbath, your God. You'll not work. Neither you, your son or daughter, or your male or female servant, your ox. Your, everything is going to rest on this day. And why? Why is the therefore there? When you go to verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. You've forgotten that. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Listen, therefore, because of that, you keep this. God has blessed this day, commanding you to observe the Sabbath day because you were, and the point is, is that you, just because you don't remember it doesn't mean it ain't true. And he is saying, you have to observe this. And here's a reason for it. There was years, your grandparents, your grandparents, your Mima, your papa, your family tree, none of them, they all worked seven days a week for hundreds of years. And you don't have to do that anymore. You get one day a week to take this off. And this was hard for them because the other cultures mocked them. You're lazy. Why are you taking a day off? You fools. On the Sabbath day, they would even in war, Israel would not proactively, they would defend themselves, they wouldn't proactively attack on the Sabbath day. They honored this day. Now, if you would, and I'm gonna, we're going to go back to Mark 2 in a minute, but go with me over to Exodus chapter 5. Go back to, because here is what these young people who were hearing these words from Moses would have maybe forgotten. Here's what they were called by Pharaoh. Pharaoh was saying to them, Moses is trying to get him out of, uh, out of Egypt, and Pharaoh's not wanting to let him go. They were literally the backbone of the entire world economic system. Did you know that one of the things that they were building for Pharaoh for Egypt was storage? They were building things because Egypt had so much, they had to put it all in storage. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Does it feel a little bit like America to you? 4.5 billion square feet of storage in America? 
Just saying. Um, it just felt familiar to me. But here's the world system. Here's what Pharaoh is saying to the people of Israel and to Moses. Uh, let's, we're going to do a flyover. We're going to go down to verse 4, second half. He's, saying, he's talking to Moses and Aaron. You're taking the people away from their labor. Get back to work. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous. You're stopping them from working. You guys got to get back to work. And then down into verse, second half of verse 8. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let's go and sacrifice to our God. Look, make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to these lies about going and being free. And then he says, we're gonna, you need straw for this, so we're going to take straw out of the equation. You still have to make bricks. So without straw now, it's even going to be harder. Complete verse 13. The work required for you just as when you had straw. And if you... Listen, listen for the world system in your own mind in this. You aren't enough. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the straw to make bricks, but you still have to do it anyway. This is the message of Pharaoh, and it's the message of us even today. Complete the work required of you, even if you had straw. And uh, down towards the end of verse 14. Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as as before? You're not keeping up. The neighbors are getting, they're doing it faster than you are. They got a bigger house than you did. They got a better college for their kid than you did. You're not keeping up. Lazy, verse 17, that's what you are. That is why you keep saying, let's go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw. You must produce your full quota of bricks. You still have to make it happen like everybody else, even though you don't have enough, you aren't enough, there aren't enough hours in the day. That is the voice of Pharaoh thousands of years ago, and it's still the voice today. And I bring it up because you look at Jesus and he's kind of busting their chops because they have too many rules and regulations around the, 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 you know, the Sabbath day. That's the voice of the Pharisee, is too many rules. And I wonder if our problem isn't that we don't have too many rules. I know it's not that. I wonder if it's that we don't have any at all around Sabbath, around rest. And Jesus, he didn't do away with this idea of rest. He said, I'm just the Lord of it. And I can say with some certainty because of the scripture that there is a spiritual metaphor that Jesus is going for here because we know that in Colossians 2 verse 27 that he says that don't let anybody judge you about your Sabbaths whether you're keeping these rules or regulations because Jesus they all pointed to Jesus but is it possible that we, you and I, could learn something from a population of people that for 3,500 years or more has kept work in check, the Jewish people and their history, their record of Sabbath. Maybe they know something. I'll take it a step further and say maybe God knows something. Maybe there's a reason why he said, hey, not just a couple hours, but I'm going to just take a whole day. It's a gift for you. It is this beautiful table that I want to be this blessing in your life. Now, you can stack all this stuff on it, and sometimes we do. Shannon did a, uh, uh, we did a consignment sale. Do you know about the consignment sales? You know what I'm talking about? Somebody lift your hand. Am I alone in this? Okay. All right. I know. I got it. Nobody wanted to lift their hands. Anyway. Um, it's a lot of work. And our dining room table becomes buried in, uh, in consignment sale stuff. Works for that. It does that. But that's not the purpose of it. And I wonder if there's a purpose for Sabbath that we could get and a gift that we could learn from what Jesus was teaching to them. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And I'm not here to put a burden on you. I'm not here to say, and if you're starting to make the list of how you're going to keep the Sabbath, can I ask you to just put your pen away? 
There's four things that I see that are, or whenever you see Sabbath throughout the Old Testament, a couple of these are actual literal translations and a couple of these are just words that are in reference to Sabbath. You might see more of them, but these are four that I've learned from my friend John Mark Comer at a church in Portland, Oregon called Bridgetown. And they are stop, rest, delight, and worship. Those are all part of the gifts of Sabbath. And I want to go over there. I'm going to go them through them quickly, but I ask for you to write them down, pray about them, and see if the Lord might speak to you. Number one, stop. It's the literal meaning of the word Sabbath. In the Hebrew word is Shabbat. It just, it's from the, the literal word stop. Just stop. Like in the words, remember that Bob Newhart video? It floats around every once in a while. The lady in therapy and counseling and just stop it. Stop it but I'm just feeling this. Stop it! And it's funny because it's just not so easy, isn't it? I mean, Chris and Lisa, you guys do a lot of work coaching people through it out of their fears and out of their anxieties. And man, when you say stop it, well, I didn't think of that. That's a good idea. Wish it was that easy. But when it comes to stop, Shabbat, on the seventh day, God, Shabbat, he stopped and seventh he rested, Right? When we talk about stopping, in our culture right now, the hustle economy, the gig economy, I want you to remember very clearly that work is not a sin. Work is not the curse. Work is a gift for us. The curse is the results of the work. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it works for a guy that wasn't as good as you. Sometimes she was way meaner, but somehow she got the promotion. And somehow it's, the, the results of work is the curse. But God, it's like he just put in motion this idea that if I just, for this 24-hour period, just stop it. And we read that piece last week in the New York Times, Judith Shulevitz. The, she referred to the eternal, internal murmur of self-reproach in all of our souls and that Sabbath was designed to silence that. And this passage in Nehemiah, they had just come back. They were beginning to rebuild the city, were beginning to rebuild the walls, and immediately... They started violating Sabbath immediately. And Nehemiah, it says he put guards around the edge to stop it from coming in because he knew that in the God's word that his rules, his policies, his, this was for blessing. It was for literally to nourish them, for, for them to flourish. And I think that in our lives, when I was younger, sometimes I went to work. You're not going to believe this, dude. But sometimes you had to go to work and you worked and then you went home. And there was no more work to be done because you're at home now. That's how it used to be, like in the old days. And now, I was I'm actually about 1997, 98 is when I got my first BlackBerry, back when it was just a brick that sent emails, and I was so excited because now I could work at home. Now I can work on the car on the way over. Now I, And look, you know what I'm saying if you've been around this for any length of time. And here's the thing. This thing may not be like a ball and chain like they were in Egypt, but it is just as much of that because I can't leave it now. It has got me wedged into my work in the way that Pharaoh wedged in the people to their work. Now look, I'm not asking you to go throw your phones out the window. Some of us are probably ready for that if I'm being honest but I want to show you a way that you can stop something. You can, you can, for one day a week, just stop something. There's this button. I swear I'm not making this up. <laughs> no, watch this. I'm, this is about to do voodoo right here. You, you push this button long enough, and this weird thing happens. Watch this. It just turned off. Did you know it did that? That's amazing. 
I know, I'm a little nervous, right? <laughs> you know why Jenny's right? Let me tell you why. Because when you turn this off, that physiological feeling you're feeling is called an addiction. So I'm like all nervous and I'm starting to feel it. That's why I wonder if it can only be an hour because it, doesn't, it takes longer than an hour for that to get out of my system. Now look, and I'm encouraging you not as a burden but as a gift. What if you just turned it off for a day? And you report back and tell me if I'm wrong. And you might think, and I shared this last week and it's embarrassing enough that I'll share it again, that I, I would say to you that the reason I don't want to turn that off is, well, what if, they, what if something goes wrong and i got to be there? What if I'm... Right? That's the fear. What if you need me? What if I... That's what I say my fear is. But the Lord totally slapped my wrist. Said, that's not what you're afraid of. What you're afraid of is you'll turn this on tomorrow and nothing would be any different. They would have gone on without you. You would have been just fine. They would have been fine. They don't need you. That's called codependency, people, and that is not healthy. My point is is that the, 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 the work under the work that God wants me to stop is not just the work, it's the work of the enemy on my soul. Because you know what the truth is? I'm not your savior. I say that every week, but if I turn this off, I'm sure having to prove it. And I have to really repent and say, actually, I'm not your savior, but I want to be. So by turning it off, it is a weekly opportunity for me to shut down that eternal, internal murmur of self-reproach that, Darren, you're not enough unless you're helping someone else. Stop it. Put guards at the gates. Whatever it takes for you. You may not be able to, but I promise you, there was a day and age when, so remember that Louis C.K. bit, right? Like, Sometimes when the phone rang, it'd just be all by itself on the, on the wall, just ringing alone, all lonely, and nobody ever knew anything about it. That's how it used to be. <laughs> Point is, we're chained to something that is, we're willingly going back into slavery. And what God was saying to the people of Israel, don't do that. I rescued you from that. It is for freedom that he has set you free. Stop. And then only after I stop can I do something called rest. The Hebrews believe that night, the day starts in the evening. Okay? There's a picture of that, the evening and the morning were the first day, the evening and the morning. That when you, and Phyllis talks about this beautiful time, Phyllis is here in Jerusalem, that when Sabbath starts 20 minutes before the sun goes down, this alarm goes off, the horn sound or whatever, and she says that it's like, this, she lived there for years, that it's like the whole city goes silent. And she says it's just like right before it's about to snow. You know how quiet it gets? And it's this beautiful gift of rest that he wants to give us. Now there's a, a metaphorical and there is a liberal, liberal, literal rest. <laughs> Hebrews 4, yeah, whatever. <laughs> a literal rest and a spiritual rest. And I'm here to tell you, I don't think you can separate them. I don't think I can get a literal rest without the spiritual rest. And in Hebrews 4, I want to show you something that is really profound that's just baked right into this passage when he says that therefore... Hebrews 4 verse 1, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let's be careful that none of you be found falling short of that. So there's this rest that he's offered, this rest that he wants to give us to, to silence that voice, to allow his word to be real and to be us to be the righteousness. That rest still stands. Let's not fall short of it. And he goes down to um, verse 8. Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest 
also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let's therefore, I love this, make every effort to enter that rest. Some of us aren't resting because we're too lazy. So that no one will perish by following the examples of disobedience. And listen to this, this verse that we've all known and we've all heard and all recited. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of what? Soul and spirit, bones and marrow. You understand what he's saying here? That in my soul is this eternal, internal reproach, this, and that's in my soul, and the word of God, which by the way, the logos, it's the word logos, which is the word we talked about a few weeks ago. It's a Greek word, and we, it doesn't mean written word of God. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It can't mean less than that, but it means more than that, meaning when Jesus said it, he was taking a word out of Greek culture that he knew meant something to them. And the logos in the Greek meant, if you discern this, if you can figure this out, you can find out the entire meaning of the universe. And he's saying, Jesus is saying, yeah, that's true. That's me. The logos became flesh and dwelt among you. And it's that logos that can divide between the soul and the spirit. Those are surgical terms. So what I just shared with you a minute ago, which is just really embarrassing, and I'm glad I did that, about that I don't want to be codependent with you, that was the word of God, that was the logos, me finding my meaning and purpose in Jesus and letting the other stuff be sliced away. Stop, and as that stuff is sliced away, then I can rest. There's a reason why it starts in the evening, because in the gospel, we start with rest and we work out of rest. In religion, you start with work and earn your rest. The evening and the morning. And that next day, you get a chance to do what, is, what would naturally happen, which is delight. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isaiah 58, he says, once you can call the Sabbath a delight, that your Sabbath, if you call it a delight, then, verse 14, you will find your joy in the Lord. It's not a burden. It's literally amazing that I'm not trying to listen to that voice anymore. That I'm actually taking this whole day and I'm trusting that God's going to figure out the rest of it. I'm admitting that I'm not God. I'm admitting that he is. And it is a literal delight because you know why? I don't, long, I don't have that burden on me anymore. I mean, you think about it. You got your kids out, like my son mows the yard. He just loves that, right, that burden. But if I'm out there mowing it for him, do you think that's a burden or is that a delight to him? It's a delight because I'm doing what he doesn't want. There's a delight in being able to just take off and let Jesus do the work. It is finished. It is good. Every day of creation, he ended creation with it's good. It's done. It's complete. On the cross, what did he say? It's finished. It's good. It's complete. You're good. Armando, you're good. You're fine. In Christ, you see Christ in you. It's not your works anymore. That's pretty awesome. That's party time. Which is why on Shabbat, they get out the good wine, right? They ain't going to Kroger. (laughs) They're getting the good stuff out. It's the good bread. There's no keto on the Sabbath. (laughs) Because there's a delight in it. And you know what happens in that moment? Do you, by the way, see a pattern here of of a progression of things? Stopping allows me to rest. Resting allows me to delight. And delight leads me to worship. 
Psalm 92 is this beautiful chapter of, it's a song, it's, and it's called the Song for Sabbath. And it starts out, it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. To sing praises to his name. And it goes on to say, because you know why? He's awesome. He's got this whole mess under control. That on the other six days a week, you know what I learned the rest of the week? That I still live in a Genesis 3 world. I get on Twitter. Have you been on Twitter lately? God, what a cesspool that has become. It's like somebody says something completely logical, and then there's like a dog pile of like a thousand people. I don't know where they go home to. And they're all just mean and spiteful. And, and you know what? On those days, it, it, it just hits me in a part of my soul that I don't like very well. It makes me sad. Now, here's what I'm saying. Don't put your head in the sand. There's things going on in the world that we need to know and we need to be aware of. God's not asking us to bury our heads in the sand. But he is saying, hey, for one day a week, just shut it off. Just let it go. I saw something just this past week that was like, I was just furious about it. Because San Antonio is not going to let Chick-fil-A in the airport. Did you guys see that? And you know why they're not going to let him? Because they donated to two hate groups, the Salvation Army and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That made me angry. Now that said, if I do that every day of the week and I just spend all my time there, then I'm going to think, well, then this is all hopeless. But what the song for Sabbath says, hey, but God will deal with that stuff. That he's on the throne still. He's not freaking out. He's not. Why are you freaking out, Darren? He's not freaking out. It's Psalm 92, a song for Sabbath. It's worship saying, I'm going to let all that stuff go today. The stuff that's happening in our nation right now as it relates to late-term abortion that I just, I mean, it literally is, I'm befuddled. It hurts my heart that for one day a week I can say, but God is going to take care of that. That the rest of the week I can enjoy that and whatever, but on this day I'm shutting it off and saying, I'm not going to listen to that voice anymore. It's a song for Sabbath. Stop. Rest. Do you know, by the way, that before the light bulb, we talk about the iPhone, let's talk about the light bulb. Before the light bulb, do you know that people slept on average 10 to 12 hours a night? Sorcery. No, I'm serious. You read like Jonathan Edwards got up at 4 in the morning to pray and you think, oh man, I'll never be able to do that. Yeah, because you didn't go to bed at 6 p.m. You think Spurgeon was up at midnight? No, he went to bed at six. That's why he was up at four. But the light bulb came along, and the average human now sleeps way less than that. And there's a real literal medical situation going on in our country that's just simply due to a lack of sleep. Now look. Oh Lord, it's 1220. Listen. Here's what I don't want you to do. I'm asking you, borderline begging you. Some of you are sitting there right now thinking, man, I sure hope my husband's listening to this. You know what he's thinking? I sure hope my wife is listening to this. <laughs> and here's what I'm asking. Both of you listen. All of, to, not to me, listen, not to me, to the Holy Spirit. I don't know, clearly Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath, so I'm not saying that we gotta be Seventh-day Adventists now and, and it's religious I worked with an artist 20-some years ago that I probably shouldn't say her name. We were all excited. She had just signed a Curb Records. They'd spent a gajillion dollars getting ready to market her. And we get the calendar, get ready to book her. And every Friday night to Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon was blocked. She was Seventh-day Adventist, which meant she couldn't work. Allie, can you believe that? Like, when am I going to book shows? I don't know if you know when concerts happen, but it's Friday and Saturday. 
You've never heard of her because it didn't really work. But, <laughs> sorry, it was a really good record too. That's the bummer of the whole thing. Um, don't get religious about this. Don't slap burdens and policies and procedures. Don't say, because you know what, for me, let me just be honest, reading is not relaxing. I read all the time. When people say, when did you learn all this? When did you listen to that? Like, that's all I do. For me, the Sabbath means I might need to just put the book down, turn the podcast off. For some of you, it means don't binge Netflix on this day. Right? I mean, do you ever feel great after you just went through a whole season of something in a day? I mean, I'm not telling you something you don't know. But maybe for this day, without doing, because again, the, the Pharisees, all they did was they just built fences. God said, don't work on the Sabbath. So, okay, well, we don't want to do that. So now I got I to gotta build this fence. Have you been to a national park where they've got this beautiful cliff, right, where you can get the great picture of the waterfall right up on the edge? That's all, where all the great Instagram action is, you know, like right on the edge of the cliff. But then some well-meaning government worker says, ooh, that's too dangerous. Let's put a fence way back here. So now you've got to climb over the fence and take your kids down there for the Instagram picture. But that's what the Pharisees were doing was building fences. It's what I shared last week, that legalism in the garden with Eve, when the serpent came and said, tempting her, and she says, to the serpent. No, 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 no. God says we can't even, we can't eat this thing or we'll die. Don't even touch it. But God didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat it. She added don't touch it and legalism was born. Don't allow that to be your, allow the Holy Spirit to be. Allow it to say that, you know what, if I don't want to turn my phone off, then Holy Spirit, show me why. And if I need to for this span of time, just try with a couple hours. I don't know. Turn it off for those two hours and let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Make every effort. Plan ahead of time. People that are used to getting a hold of you, right? Because you guys text me all the time. You, you know. So if I don't text you back in the next 10 minutes, it kind of freaks you out because I've trained you. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You haven't texted me in three days. But yeah, I just get behind. I'm sorry. But the point being, prepare ahead of time. Let people know during this time. Maybe for some of your families. Just shut it all down. You're worried about your kid uh, every day on the phone. Where do we do? We're always trying to figure out, man, how long has he been on that game again? Maybe for this hour, we make every effort to enter into that rest. Maybe for that day, we make every enter. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Don't walk out of here with this burden. That's not what Jesus has invited you to do. But we have an opportunity that the world system, Pharaoh's voice is still there. You're not enough. If your kid doesn't get into that college, they're in trouble. If you don't make this happen in this sale, you're not going to get promoted. That's the world. You're lazy. You're not enough. You're not. Don't listen to the voice of the Pharisees. And don't listen to the voice of Pharaoh. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Would you stand? Let's pray. Thank you for being patient with me this morning. It just seems wrong to rush a sermon on Sabbath, doesn't it? I know this because I rushed the second service, so <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with what that's like. But Heavenly Father, you've given us this gift of rest, and we reject it for whatever reasons of our own soul's 
I pray that you would actually help us today to see clearly because every one of us individually has something different, a different part of surgery that you want to do on our souls, the soul and the spirit. Lord, would your logos, your meaning behind the universe, your word, slice that away from us today. Show it to us, heal it, reveal it, and do away with it. And I pray, Lord, for my own heart, Lord, would you forgive me, I repent of not honoring your promise of rest literally and spiritually. Would you make that real in my heart today and the members of our church family here today? It is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Gang, go be blessed. Rest this week. <laughs>